evidence and answers. Jesus had just finished performing miracles and teaching when he was caught in an alleged scandal. Would this scandal ruin the credibility of Jesus? Or would there be another powerful lesson to be learned? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat will begin part one of his message from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, the Savior, the self-righteous, and the sinner. Now, here's Pat. Well, I want to thank you for allowing me to share today from God's Word. It's a tremendous privilege always to share with our friends there in the Philippines and all over the country the powerful message from God's Word. And our passage today is Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 51, a message I titled, The Savior, the Self-Righteous, and the Sinner. Off and on, we sometimes go out and do street evangelism, where we go out on the streets and and we share Christ with the people in the area. And we were in the red light district. I remember one time in downtown Los Angeles in the red light area, and I was with several uh, of our partners there who were on the streets doing street evangelism there. And a partner with me was Ken. And I remember Ken and I were sharing in that red light district in Los Angeles and a lady of the streets, you know, lady of the night, came up and actually propositioned Ken. And Ken looked at her and instead of giving her what she was hoping for, Ken began to share the message of the gospel of Christ with her and went through the gospel message. And I was sharing with and having a conversation with someone on the street as well, but I was close enough where I could kind of hear the dialogue and what was going on, and he was going through the gospel message with her. And then he asked her at the end, would you like to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she said, well, I don't know, I'd like to think about it. And he said, well, here's a tract, you know, with information, but also the gospel message, what we talked about. And he left that tract with her. Well, you know, we got into our cars and we were heading back to our rooms. And I remember engaging Ken in dialogue there. And I said, that's a great thing that you got to share the gospel with that woman. And he talked, you know, he was pretty excited about the things that he had shared in the dialogue that they had. And I said, I saw that you gave her a track at the end. Did you leave her any contact information in case she wanted to get in touch with someone to find out more about how to know Christ and how to plug in to a body of believers in Christ. And he said, yeah, yeah, I I left her information and a phone number. And I said, your phone number? And and he he smiled and he said, no, I put your phone number on the track. You know, and I went, what? What? You crazy? You know, and I nearly threw him out of the car. You know, I was saying, you crazy? You gave that lady my phone number? You know, and he was kind of laughing. He said, well, you're the leader, you know, so I thought maybe she'd contact you. And I said, no. I said, well, you, you were sharing with her. You should have left your number on that track with her. You know, we we're arguing back and forth. And I said, hey, what am I going to do? She comes to the hotel tonight and knocks on the door or whatever. You know, I mean, come on. You know, and we were arguing back and forth. And it was kind of a funny 
dialogue here, and we were stopped at the light, and I nearly threw him out of the car, you know. Well, anyway, we got back to our hotel, and we're heading back to the room, and I'm still arguing with her, saying, telling him, you know, I hope on that track you don't have my number on all of them. He kind of smiled, and I knew he had put my phone number on those tracks. You know, you should be putting your number on your tracks. When we got to the lobby, you know, I was still fuming hot, mad at him. And he looked at me and he kind of smiled and kind of laughed. He said, well, Pat, what would Jesus do? And that kind of shut me down for a while. And I thought about it as we got into the elevator. I was silent all the way back to my room. And I questioned to myself, what would Jesus do if a lady of the night or a lady of the street were to call and say, hey, I want to get together and talk about receiving forgiveness from sins and eternal life. You know, and I wondered about that, and I think we might find the answer here in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 51. Now, this is the setting here. It says in Luke chapter 7, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now, let me set the uh, scenery here for you. Back in those days, if you have read through the Gospels, you understand that Jesus was an itinerant preacher. He didn't just have one synagogue that he spoke at. He traveled around the country teaching and preaching at synagogues throughout Israel. And most of the time, he was up in the north in Galilee, teaching and preaching in different synagogues up there. And so on this occasion, he had probably just preached in a synagogue. And what was customary is that after the person preaches, the leader of the synagogue, the Pharisee leader there, would invite the speaker or the preacher over to his house uh, after he was done where they could have further conversation and also he could feed the itinerant preacher or teacher. That was customary to do back then. Now we give honorariums. Well, back then you invited them over for lunch. So that's probably why Simon the Pharisee here had invited Jesus over. Perhaps maybe he felt obligated because Jesus had just given the message. He, he might have felt obligated to bring Jesus over. That was the custom. Now, when you invited a guest to dinner, back then, if you remember, the streets were dirt roads and people wore open sandals. And traveling around the world in Africa and throughout Asia, there are times that we are walking on dirt roads and your feet get awfully dirty walking on dirt roads. I mean, it doesn't just cover your feet. Oftentimes, you know, the dirt goes all the way up to your knee, all right? So when you get into the hotel or in the church or wherever we're going, I mean, our feet are pretty covered in dirt. So what was customary back then is 
when you invited a guest over that you would wash their feet there and then you would anoint them with oil you know they're sweaty and and you got body sweat and oil or some kind of perfume that smelled really good but also you greet them when they come in with a kiss on the cheek and that was customary there but what we're going to read in this story is that Simon did none of these you know which was actually an insult to Jesus and why it's not stated here perhaps you know he was curious about Jesus but skeptical right he just kind of invited Jesus over maybe he felt obligated but he just wanted to find out more about Jesus and he was skeptical about this guy here and the text says that they were reclining at the table right now picture this okay they're not sitting down at the table as we sit they actually lie down on their side and if you're right-handed you lie down on your left elbow like this okay? and so your feet are pointed away from the dining table and you reach over okay, and you eat like this so that's how they are they are reclining they're lying down actually on their left side their feet is pointed away from the table and they're reaching over to eat okay that's the position that they are back in those days and it says that a woman had arrived who did not have a good reputation there it says a who was a sinner and she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisees house now back then after you heard the person preach then they were invited over to the head Pharisees house and there in those houses in Israel in the first century the dining room wasn't an enclosed room like we have today or an enclosed restaurant it was actually an open courtyard and it was also open to the public there where they could come and stand around the courtyard and listen in further on the conversation between the teacher and the other Pharisees who were there and listen in on the conversation and so that's why she was there and it says a woman who was a sinner well the text really doesn't tell us what kind of sin she was involved in many assume that perhaps it was you know because her reputation was so bad perhaps it was you know in prostitution perhaps her husband was involved in some kind of shady business you know whatever it is she's got a pretty bad reputation now she probably heard Jesus at the synagogue over there right and that is why when she heard or perhaps because Jesus had an itinerant ministry he was preaching around Galilee there perhaps she had heard him a couple more times earlier and when she heard that Jesus was there having lunch at the Pharisees house that's why she went over there so she was not invited but she came to the Pharisees house as was the custom there and it says here that she came with a flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment so she's standing behind Jesus now remember they're not sitting down and she's standing behind him like this it'd be pretty hard to cry on his feet 
and anoint his feet with oil if they're sitting down as we sit down at a dining table. I mean, kind of hard to picture, right? She'd be under the table or, or something, you know. But remember how they are. They are lying down on their side like this. Their feet are extending away from the table and they're reaching over to eat like this. That's why it says she's standing behind Jesus. So as they're lying down on their side, their feet are away from the table. She's standing behind Jesus and she begins to weep and her tears fall on her feet. Okay, so I hope you can picture that. She begins to weep and her tears are falling on his feet and she anoints his feet with oil. So that's the scenario there. So she had come through the crowd, worked her way through the crowd, and got close to Jesus, close enough where she could stand over his feet. And as she was weeping over her sin, it, tears fell on his feet, and she began to anoint his feet with oil. Now, a sign of respect for a guest arriving at your home was to anoint their head with oil. Instead, this woman poured this expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. Now, the perfume was very costly. It was in an alabaster jar, right? And an alabaster jar is what you put expensive ointment or perfume in. You know, on another occasion, this is another anointing in the other Gospels, like Mark 14, verse 3, Jesus also received another anointing from a woman. And it states in that story that the perfume she poured on Jesus was worth 300 denarii. Now, 300 denarii back then, when you look at the other Gospels, and you read Jewish literature, it's about a year's wage. Okay, so that's the kind of ointment that's in alabaster. This is very expensive ointment, probably, that she was pouring lavishly on Jesus' feet. And it says that she wiped her tears off Jesus' feet with her hair. And instead of kissing him on the cheek, she's kissing him on the feet, a sign of utmost respect, submission, and affection to someone. Remember, Simon didn't extend any courtesy to Jesus. This woman did what Simon should have done. And her worship of Christ came at a tremendous cost to her, her perfume, all right, which was probably one of the most, if not the most valuable thing that she owned. Perhaps she was saving it for herself on some special occasion or maybe on the day of her death. But it was a very valuable, valuable commodity that she had. But that wasn't the most costly thing. I think what was more costly was to come through the crowd knowing what they thought of her and the scorn and the shame that perhaps she felt. But that didn't matter to her. All that mattered to her was getting to Jesus and being able to lavish him with this ointment and express her love and thankfulness to Christ. And true love involves sacrifice. And our love for Christ needs to be like that love that was expressed by that sinful woman, a lavish, sacrificial kind of love that loves God extravagantly, not just minimally, but loves Him extravagantly. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's how we're to love God, and this woman expressed it beautifully in giving 
of her most valued treasure to Christ at that moment. You know, in marriage, good marriages are built on love, not minimum that's expressed, you know, minimally. No, you want love to be expressed extravagantly in marriage, right? You don't want to just do the minimum for your wife or husband. Man, you want to love that overflows, that goes above and beyond. That's kind of makes great marriage. You know, and I remember my wife on her birthday wanted a wallet. I've got a wallet here, good wallet here, $10. $10 at the, one of this Walmart here, I think, $10. Or maybe I got it on Amazon, can't remember, 10 bucks. So she said she wanted a wallet. I said, great. I said, I will spare no expense to get her a great wallet. You know, 10 bucks, so I'll, I mean, I'm gonna splurge 50 bucks maybe. Maybe 75 bucks, okay? But we're going to get her the best, all right? So we went over there to the shopping mall over here and, and went to one of the stores, Gucci, I think was our first one that we went in. And I went in and I said, hey, we're looking for a wallet for her. And they said, well, we've got some here. And I went and, you know, my price range, 75, 100 bucks, maybe 150. And look, and I said, how much for that one? $1,000 thousand dollars what is this you know we just a wallet thousand dollars and so you know I was absolutely stunned and she was looking at it and I'm going please Lord please don't let her find one that she likes in here and so praise God she didn't find one that she likes so I said oh, praise the Lord we walked out and went to the next store which was one of those fine French stores I don't know Ferragamo or Prada, whatever it was, you know, went to the next one and got in there and I said, oh, oh, great, man, that was way overpriced. Let's check this one out here. Went, Wallet, yeah. 750 bucks, 8,000 bucks. Well, I mean, what is, it's just a wallet, man. You know, and, and I was just absolutely stunned. I went to the next one, Prada, whatever it was. Same thing, you know, and I'm going, what is this? You know, and I felt like telling her, forget it, forget a wallet, let's go to Walmart, get something reasonable around here. You know, what, what is this? Mine's 10 bucks, come on. And so I was outside pacing around, good night, you know, I can get a set of golf clubs, you know, I can get a brand new Mac computer. Anyway, then I think the Holy Spirit convicted me and I was sitting there going, hey, she doesn't ask for much, she's not a big shopper. She doesn't buy a lot of extravagant things. But on this one occasion, it is her birthday, and she hasn't bought a wallet in 15 years, and, and she'd like a, a nice one for once. Do you love her minimally? Or you want to express your love for her extravagantly, above and beyond. And I thought about it for a while, and I said, you know, she deserves it. She certainly works hard as a doctor. She does a lot. It's within our budget. We're not going to go broke. And I can put up with a three, four-year-old laptop for another couple of years. Okay, I don't need the latest and greatest right now. The one I got is working more than fine. And so I sucked it in. I said, you know, this is a chance to express love extravagantly, how it should be, to someone that you've committed your life to and say you love with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so... Sucked in and I said, all right, let's do it. 
you know. So we went to a store and she found one that she liked. And instead of complaining or grumbling or whatever, fortunately, it was half price. No, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. But I think it, it was a discount, I think. Guy gave us a discount. I think he saw me and, you know, my stun, no. Anyway, but we got it for a really nice one. She was really happy and it brought a lot of joy to my heart to know that she understood well, how much, you know, I want to express my love above and beyond in extravagant ways. And that should be our attitude towards Christ, not to give him the minimum, but the very best. And reflect on your life today. What is it that you give God? Do you love him extravagantly, overflowing with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, as the Bible says, or is it just the minimum? I uh, go to church on Sunday, do a 10-minute devotion. That's it. Or do we love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength in extravagant ways? Do I love God with all my heart and express it extravagantly as the sinful woman did, or do I just give him the minimum? You know, a good question to ask is if someone was spying on you for the whole week and you didn't know they were watching you, would they know that you are a committed disciple of Jesus Christ? You know, think about that. So that woman loved Christ extravagantly. Now, in verse 39 through 47, we see the reaction of the Pharisees there. It says, Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And so you see the reaction of the Pharisees here. They thought, well, Jesus can't be a prophet. You know, back then they were very meticulous and legalistic about cleanliness. And these Pharisees would never allow a woman like her to get close or even more to touch them. That would make them unclean. So the Pharisees were shocked that Jesus would allow this woman to defile him by touching him. So Jesus, knowing their thoughts, you know, they're probably kind of giving each other the look. Maybe the Pharisee next to Simon kind of leans over to Simon and says, hey, check that out there. This, this is not a prophet. And Jesus knows exactly what they're thinking. Not only does he knows all about this woman, he knows all about what they're thinking. So he is indeed a prophet. In fact, something even more. And Jesus ends up telling a story. In that story, one man own, owes 500 denarii, the other 50. 
And back in those days, if you owe that kind of money, you might spend some time before the court and perhaps maybe some time in jail. But they are forgiven of that debt. And Jesus asked them, well, which one would love more? And they said, well, the one that had the greater debt. And Jesus' point was this, that a person who is forgiven much loves much more than the one who is forgiven little or see or perceives that he is not guilty of much. Our time today has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Use our search engine for available resources. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrow.